Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Good morning. I hope all of you are doing well. It's great to see you online, and we're constantly praying that God will open up an opportunity for us to actually meet face-to-face. But we're especially glad today because we know that there are some of you who are actually joining us for the very first time. Uh, You got connected through some of our members as we had different outreaches this week and so we welcome you we pray that uh after this time together that you'll be uh drawn closer to god and hopefully that you can stick around for after lunch we're going to have that activity uh, section we pray that you'll interact and meet with some of our um, members so we're so glad that you're joining us if you have your bibles please turn to acts chapter 2 acts chapter 2 we're going to be starting from verse 42 to 47 And as you know, we do have a church app where you can um, look at some of the notes there and also um, some of the leaders have sent out a link for you to follow along. So this will be very helpful for all of us as we listen into the second part. If you remember, uh, we started this uh, whole series uh, last week and we simply titled this whole week and even the last next couple weeks uh, as... uh, I-Y-K-Y-K, so it stands for If You Know, You Know, and uh, we have been kind of, it's, we kind of spun it off from the internet where they use that hashtag, I-Y-K-Y-K, and it pretty much says if you weren't there, you don't really know what happened, so it's going to take a long time to explain, so you just have to be there next time, so it's really more experiential something that is brought forth by people who know each other. And this is the reason why we're trying to welcome and invite many people to experience uh, some of the things that are going on in our church. And so last week we talked about, in the book of Acts, the early church, and we mentioned there are two phrases that we use in our church. And in these two phrases, what we're saying is, you, you know, if you, if you know, you know. And so the first phrase that we used is church doesn't happen on Sundays. And when you hear that for the first time, you're like, what are they talking about? And the reason why we share this is because our church, when we gather together, Sundays are great, but we call it Sunday celebration because we're celebrating all that God is doing, not only in our lives, but in our life group. And we believe that Sunday celebration is just a little picture of everything that God is doing through all our different small group ministry that we have. And so we're trying to encourage people that in our church, it's really about life groups, uh, those smaller micro churches, smaller communities where we're getting to know one another. Uh, Another phrase that we use, and so if you know, you know, if you're part of our church, we always talk about this is the reason or this is why we do what we do. And it's simply saying that whatever you're doing, you got to understand the mission and the purpose of what it is that you're engaging in, and especially in the context of our church. So whether you're serving, whether you're going out to the different gatherings that we have, whether it's your own personal life and the things that we provide for you to grow, you got to know why you do what you do. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to go to part two and talk about two other phrases that we have in our church that we talk about. The first, uh, the phrase that I'm going to be covering today is leadership is not about a position, 
but about influence. That's a phrase that we say quite often in our church, that leadership is not about a position or a title, but it really is all about influence. The second part that I'm going to be talking about today is ministry is not something you switch on and off. Ministry is not something that you switch on and off, some kind of a flip, uh, kind of a switch, uh, like a light, but it's something that should be on continuously as we try to minister to people around us. So we're excited to share these things with you, and I hope that you'll be encouraged. So what I wanted us to do, and, and this might be a little bit different, but I'm going to have you do this. I, I want you to go ahead and pull out your phones. Just have your phones, and especially those of you who are zooming in with some of your life group members or people that you know, uh, this will be great. So I, I want you to stick out your phone. And those of you who have an iPhone, I just want you to raise your hand or wave your hand right now. Can you just do that? Okay. All right. This will also help you to know who are the people in our church that are spending enormous amount of money on a phone that can, but anyway, okay, we won't, that's a different sermon. We'll talk about that at a different sermon. Now, those of you who have an Android phone, come on now, lift up your phone and kind of wave it in the air, praising Jesus, all right? All right, praise the Lord. Now, this is the thing. If you look at your phone, if you just look at your phone, uh, there was a time when there, was not, there wasn't anything like this. And the possibility and the thought of having something like this that we have today was just not only impossible, but it was unconceivable. Now, the thing is this. Those of you who are very young, you cannot even think of a time when you didn't have this. But those of us who are a little bit older, there was a, a, a time when we did not have a phone that we held on to in our hands. And everything we do now is on our phone. Why am I sharing this? Because when you think about the iPhone, I had to pray before I started talking about Apple. There's going to be a lot of references to Apple. So uh, I was asking the Lord to prepare my heart. Those of you who don't know, I'm an Android user, uh, and so uh, die hard. So my whole family, they all have Apple. So they have ganged up on me, so it's four to one. But anyway, uh, the thing that you, don't, you might not know is that uh, the, this iPhone that some of you have, the first one was introduced in June of 2007. And the thing about the whole iPhone and Apple, the company, is that you always see Steve Jobs, uh, who was the face of Apple. And so whenever they had those presentations and a launch of a new device, uh, he would come out in his black shirt and his blue jeans, and then he would introduce the new item or the new device that they discovered. And here are a couple pictures of, of when they first introduced the iPhone back in 2007. And pretty much what he was saying was that you have everything that you need all here in, in your pocket in this device. And the thing is that he was sharing about this whole new concept of this iPhone. Before this, it was all just simply like BlackBerry and where you can actually feel the, the tabs on the keyboard. But this is now a whole revolutionary that you could just touch the screen and you can get everything that you want, even music and maps and different things like that. But the thing is that a lot of times when we see these kinds of pictures, 
once again, we always see the person who is leading, the main communicator, the person that has the face to that company name. But those of you who might not know, the iPhone was actually discovered or developed by a team of five other people. So I want to show you this picture here. This was the actual team that worked on the iPhone. And they launched it and just incredible stories about how these five guys who were like these engineers uh, or engineers and they, uh, I'm telling you, be, be nice to smart people, all right? Because you never know, you're going to have to work for them one day. But it was interesting that the, these groups of five, five of these leaders, they're leading different parts of the development of the iPhone. So what I wanted to do is just spend uh, just several minutes showing you a video that was made several years back because they wanted to celebrate the 10th year anniversary of the discovery and the development of the iPhone. So the Wall Street Journal, what they did was they actually interviewed some of these guys that you see that you saw in the picture that they interviewed them and said, tell us the story, like what happened, what went on. And so it was really interesting to kind of give you a little bit of a background of how this iPhone, which then set the bar completely for all other phones. Uh, and it, it's just really fascinating. So let's watch this video together and then we'll come back. Isn't it amazing? Those five guys actually developed the iPhone along with Steve Jobs, of course, the visionary, but they were able to create something that revolutionized the world. Like I said, there is not a time. What, what would life be like if we didn't have the phone that's before us? Now, I hope you caught some of the phrases that they were using and also what they depicted as they talked about their experience. And some of the things that you could get out of this is that how passionate they were about what they were doing, about the mission as they were working together. And they also knew that they were onto something that was going to be huge. I mean, we're talking about world-changing, history-making adventure. And that's why they were willing to put all these crazy hours. Can you imagine 168 hours per week for two weeks? And they didn't even go home. They just slept by a nearby hotel. And they were so focused in bringing this about. And now it has impacted and changed the world. Why am I sharing this? Because when you think about the early church, a lot of the similarities that you see with this example when you think about the early believers, they were very passionate. They believed in the mission, that they were even willing to give their lives to it. And as many of you know, throughout history, we see that many of these believers were not only persecuted for their faith, but many of them died for their faith because they believed that this was the truth and this is going to make history and it was going to change the world. And that's what we see and that's what happened. Now, as you think about this, you have to think about, well, what did the early church, what did they do? How did they engage in bringing this impact in the world? And one of the things when you study scripture, you will notice is that the early church, they believed that every single person was an influencer. They didn't just rely upon the apostles or other leaders, but they believed as their lives were being transformed by the gospel message, that they had a responsibility to make this impact and influence people around us. In many ways, these were all leaders who impacted their sphere of society, wherever they were working, whatever they were doing, they were making a difference in that way. 
Not only that, but ministry was not something they did on Sunday or the Sabbath or however you want to look at it. But every single day for them, ministry was something that they lived, something that they did as they were able to reach out to many people around them. So that's why I want to focus in on these two things about how leadership is not about a position or a title, but it's about influence. And secondly, I want to talk about when we think about the early church and what they did, that ministry was not something that they turned on and they turned off, but they actually lived it and they were able to serve with people around them. So the one thing that I want you to get is simply this. The one thing is that there is influence when we serve with persistence, that there is influence when we serve with persistence. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have us break up into huddle groups. I'm going to give you six minutes. And those of you who are new or watching, you can join uh, on one of the Zooms on, um, with some of our greeters who are there waiting. For the rest of us who are part of life groups, you can kind of do a Zoom. We already contacted the leaders and hopefully you know to break everyone up. Uh, we're going to give you six minutes, so you got to kind of jump right into it. So here are the two questions that we're going to be looking at. The first question is, who are some of the most influential people in your life? In what ways did they impact your life? And the second question is, what is the one sphere of your life? So whether it's family, friends, roommates, workplace, school, whatever it may be, where you would like to have a stronger and greater influence. So go ahead and talk about those questions there. And you have six minutes, and then we'll bring you back. If you just look at the screen, we'll tell you how many more, uh, much time you have left, and then we'll bring everyone back together. So enjoy the time when you discuss this, these questions together. Amen. Well, hopefully you had a good time just discussing uh, some of these questions. We want to talk about, once again, this idea that leadership is not about a position or a title, but it's about influence. And so as there's influence, as we continue to persist in the things that God has called us to do. So I want to highlight two things for us as we read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to go ahead and read it. It's up on the screen as well, so you can just kind of follow along. Listen to what it says, and this is a passage that we're going to be using throughout the series and just highlighting several verses at a time. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and, all, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. The first thing that I want to mention as we talk about the importance of some of these phrases that I gave to you is that we must influence others to succeed. We must influence others to succeed. Uh, I, I want to kind of unpackage that a little bit because it's not so much us succeeding, but it's learning how to influence people so they will be exceeding, uh, succeeding in their lives. 
Uh, when you think about life, I don't know how it is with you, but I know that one of the hardest things to do is to be happy for someone else's success. Do you know what I'm talking about? A lot of times when we're successful, it's really, really easy to be happy. But to be genuinely happy for someone else's success is not an easy thing. And I was thinking about this recently, and I realized a lot of it is because of our upbringing. Some of you who have been raised in very uh, in an Asian culture, maybe on this side of the world for most of your life, a lot of your identity, your sense of worth and value is based on your performance, what you do. So therefore, some of you right now, you have excelled and you have succeeded in so many things in life. So that's why you feel the sense of pride. You feel the sense of I'm kind of invincible because I'm able to do all these things in my life. At the same time, some of us, we have a very low self-esteem because we haven't met some of those marks or even expectations that our parents have put on us. So we're constantly striving. We're constantly struggling with trying to find value and worth in who we are and how God created us. And I think this is the reason why, if you think about it, why it's so hard to be happy for someone else's success. If this is the mindset that you and I grew up in, think about this for a moment, that your value and your worth is based on your performance and what you do. This is why when you start comparing and looking at other people and they're better than you, then your worth and value goes down or you begin to realize you're not as good as that person. And that's why it begins to affect you. It begins to affect you mentally. It begins to affect you spiritually. And it affects you even in your pride, especially if you compare and you're better than everyone else. And so as you're thinking about this, then the question is, what would happen if we influence people so that they will succeed? So I want to talk a little bit about this as we read, have just read in Acts chapter 2. I think normally when we think about success, we have to clearly understand that the followers of Jesus Christ, if you believe in the gospel, you are a believer in Jesus Christ, our definition of success is completely different from the world's definition of success. So think about this for a moment. When the world thinks about success, what do they think about? They think about money, position, power. They think about promotions. Uh, they're thinking about the things that they own. All these things. That is the mindset of success. And you know what the sad part is? There's no difference from those who don't know Jesus Christ and to those who do know Jesus Christ. Many of you, as I'm looking at you right now, many of you, your definition of success is almost identical to the definition of what the world gives. This is why some of you are still holding on to a lot of things and you're living for the things of this, things of this world. And this is why you cannot serve two masters and you're struggling in your spiritual life. So, this idea of success in the biblical sense, the question now becomes, what is that? If it's not about money, it's not about power, positions, and having all these things, then what is it? But the Bible gives us some insights of what true biblical success is all about. God sees success more as a, an accomplishment of his will and his purposes 
in our lives. So when we're able to obey God, do the things that he wants us to do, and we fulfill the purpose and the destiny that he has for us, then we are successful. And so in the eyes of the world, we might not, but in the eyes of God, which is the very person that matters the most, we are successful. Let me give us some passages that reminds us of what true success and prosperity is all about. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 in the New International Version. Listen to what it says. And on the yellow sections, I want you to say it out loud with me. It says this, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, and you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Did you catch that? When we look at this verse, it's a reminder for us that true success is not what you own or what you have, but it's about having the word of God, meditating on it, and then obeying the law of God. So that's how God looks at success and talks about prosperity in that way. It's connected that when we obey God, follow God, and live out in His purpose for us, then we are successful. Here's another verse in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 3. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation and read the yellow section with me. It says this, Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all His ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. So we see it once again, this idea of when we are able to obey his commands, his decrees, and everything that he has for us, then it says here, that is what it means to be successful and prosperous in our lives. So the question is this. If you think about what success in God's eyes really means, compared to what the world talks about, the question is, how desperate or how focused are you to wanting to see this success, not only in your life, but in the life of other people? Just think about that for a moment. If we really begin to see, like, I want my friends, my family members, other people that I know to be successful, not in the eyes of the world, but in God's eyes. That means that there should be some kind of desire in us to influence them so they will learn to know God and to know his commands and then not just know it up here, but then to obey it, to follow it, to fulfill God's purpose and God's mission in their lives. That's why I want to ask you, are you able to influence people around you to be successful, to know God, to love God? I think one of the biggest misnomers is that you need a position or a title to influence people. If anyone tells you that, I'm going to tell you right now, that, that is, a, I really believe it's a false perception. Now, I will say this. Having a position and title makes it easier in the beginning. I, I will at least give you that much. But within a certain amount of time, you're going to quickly realize that a position and title 
would not earn you the respect or the influence that you can have on people. If you don't believe me, those of you who are working, think about your boss. Think about your manager. And I think for many of us, we either do not want them to influence us or we just know that that's the kind of person that we don't want them to shape the destiny that we have. Because once again, you might have the position to make some decisions, but you're not influencing people underneath you, especially if they don't respect you. Now, why is all this important? Because that's why, as we mentioned before, as John Maxwell said in his book, The 21 Laws, uh, Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, he says, leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. And this is the reason why when you think about the early church, as we read in Acts chapter 2, you will see that the believers influence and transform the known world at that time. As their lives were being completely transformed with the gospel, they were now influencing without positions or titles, but they were influencing people around them. Now, I want us to direct us back to verse 42. I mentioned this last week, and I'm going to mention it again because it's one of the key verses in this passage. And it says this, that when we go back to the word devoted in verse 42, the word devoted means to continue steadfastly or to be constantly diligent. It has this idea of how people uh, persevered in or are adhered to and are committed to. So they're committed to something. So here we see in Acts chapter 2, as we read, that the early church, they were devoted not only to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer, but it says here that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles were following Jesus' command. If you remember in Matthew chapter 28, in verse 20, it says this, when Jesus, when he died, rose again from the dead, and right before he ascended into heaven, he spoke to the disciples and he said in Matthew chapter 28, he said, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The message translation translates it this way, then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. So this idea of teaching, this idea of helping people to obey the very thing that God has given. So here are the disciples. They didn't have a Bible. You have to understand, they didn't have a Bible where they can just give out and say, hey, why don't you read it and grow? They were the Bible. They were giving accounts of Jesus's teaching. So that's why they sat under the disciples. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching because the teachings came directly from Jesus. And it's through this that they began to influence people around them. But the devotion to the teaching of Jesus, I hope you understand, went beyond just apostles. And it went beyond just titles and positions. I, I want us to turn to Acts chapter 17. I'm going to read verse 10 through 13. Acts chapter 17, verse 10 through 13. Listen to what it says here. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, 
They received the word with all eagerness, examined the scriptures daily to see if those these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed not with not a few Jew women, uh, Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowd. What you will notice in this passage is before verse 10, earlier on, what you see is that here's Paul and Silas are preaching the word of God in the synagogue. The Jewish people there got really upset and they literally kicked them out. They wanted to kill them. And so they ended up escaping and they headed into Berea. Once they got into Berea, as they would normally do, they went into the synagogue and they began to teach. And it says here, as we just read these three or four verses, that as Paul and Silas, they were teaching in the synagogue, that there were these Bereans, uh, many of them who came from the Jewish faith, even though they might have been Jew, uh, uh, Greek uh, background, but also there were some Jews there as they were hearing this message. They didn't just take it in or just dismiss it, but it says here that they examined and they studied. L listen to some of these other translations in the CEV. It says this, day after day, they studied the scriptures to see if these things were true. The New Living Translation says this, they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. So can you imagine a group of these people in Berea that they took the word of God so seriously that they began to not just take it for what it's worth, but they began to study it, examine it so they can understand it, to see that everything that Paul was talking about, it is true that was pointing to Jesus, the Messiah. I'm trying to build an argument here. So if you just follow along as best as you can, because we're talking about influence. And you're influencing people so they can be successful. And success means what? Obeying God's teaching and God's laws. That it was not just the apostles that were doing the teaching, but it were other people without the position of it or title of an apostle. That's where I'm heading towards. So I hope you understand where I'm going with this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version. Listen to what it says. And read the yellow section with me. It says this, Study and do your best to present yourself to God approved, a workman tested by trial who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Listen to what the, mess, uh, the voice translation says about that verse. It says, Timothy, do Everything you can to present yourself to God as a man who is fully genuine, a worker unashamed of your mission, and uh, a guide capable of leading others along the correct path defined by the word of truth. Do you understand what's happening? That the apostles who were directly connected to Jesus, they received the teachings of Jesus, they began to teach it to the early church. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They took that word, and as they carried into different places around in different cities, there were people even in Berea who were studiers of the word. They were examining it, studying it. And then now even to Timothy, who's not really an apostle or the original apostle, but he was a disciple of Paul, 
He says to be a person who's approved by God by handling the truth and to making sure that what he's doing is skillful to know the word of God. And so what we see here is that the best way we're going to lead and influence people is not necessarily with a position or title. You gotta listen to me. This is very important. That you are gonna influence people not with a position or a title, but rather by knowing God's word. I'm wondering how many of us have had people who really knew God's word in your life. That they knew God's word so well that every single time you will come to them, just maybe just pouring out your heart or even asking for advice, or maybe you're in the midst of making some decisions and you're kind of sharing, hey, can you give me some insights? Can you give me some perspective on this situation? That instead of giving you their Confucius background mindset, or just their own personal experience that might not even be biblical, that they're able to share with you biblical truths. And that's how, as you took that and prayed through it, that it has impacted and influenced your life. You don't have to be a pastor, what I'm trying to say, to influence people. You don't have to be a life group leader to influence people. You could be a member in our church that loves God's word, that you studied God's word, you memorized God's word, that you will have more influence over a leader who might not know the word of God. Are you with me? Can I get a good amen? Mm-hmm. But that's the problem. Some of us are not serious about influencing. And therefore, we don't take those steps to not only grow spiritually, but to be equipped with the word to help other people. So we just relegate that to the leaders. We relegate that to the pastors, all those spiritual people. And here you are living your life. And the one life that you have to live, you're not impacting or influencing anybody. And this is the problem. I think one of the best examples in scripture of people who knew the word and did ministry and influenced and impacted other people is Aquila and Priscilla. To those of us who are working, I think you should pay attention because this is a good story. And those of you who ever hope to be married, it's a good story. Those of you who are married, this is a good story. Those of you who are students, study hard, all right? So let's look at the story of Aquila and Priscilla in Acts chapter 18. And I want you to see the importance of influence, and it's tied in with the Word of God. As many of you know that they are a husband and wife, and they are doing ministry together. In fact, they walked alongside Paul. And the reason why they connected was that both of them were tent makers. They made tents along with Paul because he made tents. That's how he was able to support himself financially. So that's how they got connected. 
and they were able to come to faith, Paul discipling them, and through that now, as they understood the word of God, they're discipling other people. So look at the story in Acts chapter 18, verse 24 to 28, in the New Living Translation, it reads this. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. In verse 27, it says, Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Achaia uh, asking them to welcome him. When he arrived there, read this yellow section with me, he proved to be of great benefit to those who by God's grace had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate using the scriptures he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. I hope you caught that. So here's Jesus spending time with the apostles. Apostles now teaching the early church because they devoted themselves to the apostles' te teaching. They began to be scattered around all over the world, and they began to take that message of the gospel and the truth of scripture, even to a place like Berea where they now began to study it and examine it. And we see the effects of the word of God spreading even to Timothy and from Timothy even to Priscilla and Aquila. And you see this person named Apollos. The point that I'm trying to make is this. Even though Jesus was not there with them, like physically, even though all the apostles were not there, they're the ones with the positions and titles, that they were not there that every single person that some of us might not even be familiar with, that they knew the word of God. And Apollos, in his natural gifting, was very eloquent. But when Aquila and Priscilla, when they came, they realized that he only knew John's baptism. They didn't know the full story of Jesus baptizing. That's when they shared with them, shared with him, opened up the scriptures. And then what does it say? It says later on as he moved to another place that he was a great benefit. Can I just challenge us? Who are some people right now that you're spending time with, that you are influencing, that if they were to move or they were, they were to go and get a job at another city or they were to be at a different life stage, wherever it may be, that your influence on them is so strong that they will continue to influence other people. See, the problem with us is that we draw people to ourselves. And you and I are limited. And your impact and your influence is only going to be set to your personality or whatever charisma level you have. And if we're not able to help them because we're growing in the understanding of God's word and we're directing them to Jesus Christ, then they're not going to be able to influence other people. 
if I can share a little bit more honestly and directly with some of you, this has been, I would say, one of the heartaches right now as a pastor in our church. I think about how many people in our church know the word of God so well, not just doing soap and the Bible reading plan, but they know the word of God. They're hearing God's voice, not just hearing, but they're obeying. So you look at their life and you say, wow, they're really successful. Not in the worldly sense, but the biblical sense that they're very successful because they're obeying God. They know God. They know his word, his commands, and they're obeying. And the sad fact is that I cannot say with 100% confidence, at least with the ones that I'm interacting in our church, that they're at that level where they can influence people so that person can influence other people. It's not just about learning principles. It's about knowing God and knowing His Word and that it's a powerful impact and influence on other people around you because they see your life. And as they learn that, catch that, that they will be able to do with somebody else. Sadly, if some of you were not here, that person that you're spending time with, they will collapse. So you have become their functional Jesus. Whether it's your insecurity, your pride, or you feel good about like people coming to you all the time. In fact, it should kind of warn us or we should be a little bit skirmish about when people are putting you at a pedestal that only Jesus belongs there. And you know what else is sad? So many of you, I don't know how many, but I would say a good handful of you are thinking, I can't influence people unless I become a leader. That's why if you don't become a leader, you get totally disillusioned. You feel like you can't really do anything. That just shows you where you are and how you understand what the Bible teaches. Like, I have the opposite problem. It's because I'm a pastor. Everyone's like, oh, he's the pastor. There are times when I wish I wasn't a pastor and I could still influence people and I want to influence people without the position and title just to prove a point. Can you, without a position or a title, influence people? Because if you need a position or a title, then you're not really a leader. Because leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And this is exactly what the early church did. They influenced the world. They didn't have the positions. They didn't have the titles, at least not with the worldly sense, but they impacted the world. Some of you are sitting there and you're probably thinking, well, how am I going to impact my cubicle or just my office floor? How am I going to impact some of my roommates? That's the problem. There's so many ways you can impact people and influence people, but we don't see it. So we miss those opportunities 
to make that difference in that person's life. I'm wondering what would happen if our church had more quote-unquote influential people. They're influencers. Anyone who rubs shoulders with them, they're going to be running into God. They're going to run into the heart of God. They're going to run into the purposes of God. I'm praying that we will build this discipleship culture, that it will be so strong that we will not be so dependent on leaders. This is the reason why it's going to cap us in our growth. We're not producing enough leaders fast enough for the people who are coming to our church. That means those of you who are not leaders by positions or title, you have a responsibility to influence people towards God. Not to your personality, not to your attitude, not to your likes and dislikes and your preferences, but to God, the heart of God. I see this all the time. People who were once a leader and then they don't have a position, they just go way off to the deep end. That What that shows you is they needed that position to act or do leadership or influential things. That's why I'm constantly watching people. If you don't have a position or title, how are you living your life? If you're influencing people without a position and title more than a leader with a position and title, I look for that. We're at a crossroad as a church. As we're growing in the future, we're going to need more leaders. But in the meantime, We need influencers who can influence people around them because through the word of God. Sorry, I just went on this thing. You know, I've I've been praying about this. That's why it's like, I feel like it's the heart of God. Things that God has been burdening me with. And I just want to challenge us with this. So I'm going to take a hard break here. Get us into huddle groups. And don't spend the next six minutes saying, man, Pastor Seth was really going at it, all right? Uh... Talk about the question, all right? <laughs> because like I said, this is something I've been praying about more recently. And so it's been on my heart. So the Huddle Group question is, why do so many Christ followers have more of a worldly perspective on success rather than a biblical one? The second question I want you to talk about is, why is it easier for people to seek out after positions and titles to influence others rather than to know the Bible and influence people towards the heart of God. So will you guys talk about that, discuss that? Once again, six minutes, and then we're going to bring you back together and close out with the second point. Let's go ahead and do that. Let's all try to come back. And once again, we talked about how we must influence others for success. Now, can I just make one quick comment? Some of you are influential, but for all the wrong reasons and in all the wrong ways. I want to just challenge some of us that you might have certain things within your personality that you're able to influence, but your influence is not helpful. That means that you have to keep on growing in your relationship with God so that when you do influence people, if it's a natural gifting that God has given you, 
you could inspire people and help people to keep on growing and learning, which kind of leads me now to my second point, which is will we'll be shorter. And it says this, that we must not only influence others to succeed, but we must inspire others to serve. The other phrase that I mentioned in our church is that ministry is not something that you turn off and turn on. You know, one of the things that I miss about in the States is there's something called a central air conditioning system, which is run by a thermostat. Some of you have no idea what this means. It's okay. So pretty much you set the thermostat to a certain temperature, and every single time that temperature rises or lowers or whatever the case may be, if it's on a heater you put on or the air condition, as soon as it goes over a certain part, it clicks on by itself so you don't have to touch it. It is hard here in Hong Kong because you have this little thing called a remote control. And I know some people are like, Pastor, once you set it to a certain temperature, but it's hard because it's not like totally cold when you want it. And sometimes it feels like it's just air blowing. And also we want to save money. So there's all these struggles. So sometimes I will turn it on and I'm like, oh, this is great. And like after about 10 some minutes, you know what happens? Oh, it's getting cold. And so you either bring a jacket, but then you're like, why am I wearing a jacket when it's on and we're wasting money? So you decide I'm going to turn it off. So you turn it off and you wait another 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And what happens? It starts getting hot and you're like, oh, and then you turn it back on and the whole cycle goes over and over again. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. But a lot of times for many of us, that's how we do ministry. That's how we serve. We turn it on and then we turn it off. We turn it on and we turn it off. And for some of us, we only do it when other people are watching, when we can get some recognition from things, when it's going to help us to accomplish something else. But when there's no benefit to us, we turn it off. That's why I've been telling people the best way to really know who a person is is when they're in the most comfortable, natural habitat. Like those animals, right? Like their natural habitat. Because you get to really know who they are. Because if they have a position or title or people expect them to do certain things, then they're really good at serving. But when they're in natural habitat and things are very comfortable, do they still have that same desire to serve? Huh. Look at your kitchen dishes. Then you'll know what I'm talking about. Look at the floor and did someone do the vacuum? You'll know what I'm talking about. Oh man, Pastor Seth, he's coming over. Let's clean up. On, off. On, off. If you know, you know. Can you imagine if we only did things that were expected of us, can you imagine what would happen if we only did things when we could be recognized? That's the only time we serve. In our church, we believe that we serve because it's part of who we are. Not to say that if you serve, your identity in Christ is stronger. That's not what I'm saying. But because you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it should be natural that you are serving that you want to serve. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20 in the NIV. It says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit 
who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. This means simply that we are called to use our bodies or everything that we have, all our faculties, everything within us to serve God so that we can honor Him and to glorify Him. And being a servant, it really is understanding that we are not our own. This life that we have, it is not ours. The reason why some of you don't have the servant's heart because you think you are the master of your life. It's your time, your money, your talents, your possessions. And we forget it's not. And do you know when you realize this? When you get hospitalized? When you lose money? When you lose a job? That's when you realize, wow, it's never really mine. It wasn't mine in the first place. It was really God's. That's why you will notice in verse 45, we see that the early believers understood this and they experienced the gospel. Because when you know that it is not yours, but you have been bought with the price, then what you're simply saying is, God, everything that I am, everything that I have is yours. And I want to use my energy. I want to use my talents. I want to use my resources so I can serve you, serve your purposes, not my own but your purposes for your glory. That's why in verse 45, let's read it again. This is what it says in verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What would have it been like? I was just thinking about this. Man, it would have been awesome to be a part of this early church this kind of setting of experiencing the environment of generosity and sacrificial living, what would that be like? I think that would have been awesome just to witness this. What they did was they found ways to be sacrificial, to serve each other. Why? Because their lives were transformed. They experienced the gospel message. A little bit further, there's another account of this early church in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and then 30, 34 to 35. Listen to what it says. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed as anyone as he had need. Now, can I just say this? We have to keep in mind that the Bible is not promoting this modern-day socialism, all right, uh, or this communistic kind of a mindset. Hey, that's mine, you know, and that, that is not what the Bible is trying to teach because the difference, I want you to understand, from the modern-day socialism and all this other stuff is that everything they did was voluntarily, it was done voluntarily, and it was done willingly and sacrificially. That's the difference. That they wanted to do this, because they realized they have been blessed so much by God. That's the whole mindset when you think about serving. I'm praying that when we serve, we'll do it with all that we have. It's not something we turn on and turn off. 
so that when we do serve, people will see the worthiness and the goodness and the greatness of who God is and how valuable He is, that I'm willing to risk everything that I have. I'm willing to use my time because my time is precious, but I'm willing to use some of this. The resources that I have, I've earned this. I've worked hard for this, but Lord, it's not mine, it's yours. So that when people see it, like, why would you do that? Because of the gospel. It's because of Jesus Christ. That would be a powerful witness, wouldn't it be for us if we serve that way without turning our service on and off? Their lives were radically transformed because they began to deeply understand the gospel message. I'm going to read a couple of verses and I'm going to try to tie this in together. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24 in the New Living Translation. Listen to what it says. Read the yellow section with me. It says this. But be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve Him. Think of all the wonderful things He has done for you. Romans chapter one or chapter 12, verse 1 in the Living Bible says this. And so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice, holy, the kind He can accept. When you think of what He has done for you, is this too much to ask? Psalm 100, verse 1 and 2 in the Amplified Version, it says this, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness and delight. Come before His presence with joyful singing. What a great reminder. See, people who serve and they don't turn on and off the ministry mindset are people who understand the gospel. Is this too much to ask? If Jesus gave his whole life to you and to me, whatever it is that we're using, it's not much of a sacrifice. When you think about who he is and what he has done for us on the cross, and in your laziness, and your refusal to be sacrificial, it just shows that you do not understand the gospel. This is where we got to cry out to God, help me to understand, show it to me. Show me how sinful I am. Show me the great sacrifice that you made for me. Some of us, with that last verse, when you serve, you do it out of obligation. There is no joy. That also shows you don't understand the gospel. Because when we come before him, it says here, with gladness and delight. It says, serve the Lord with gladness and delight. It's a person who understands that this is a privilege. When you know anything is a privilege, you realize when you have an opportunity to do something, you are glad and you are delighted. So when you don't have joy serving, it's because you don't understand the gospel or shall I say you have forgotten the gospel. We should always be joyful. I'm not saying not to be human. Sometimes it is hard. This is where you got to get on your knees and thank God for, and think about, ponder, consider the gospel. That apart from Christ, you'll be so lost. 
So now having the opportunity to serve, it's not a chore, but it's our joy. It's our privilege. Thank you that I get to actually do this, God. I pray that we will inspire others to serve because we're doing it because we realize the gospel has transformed us and that now we know the cost that Jesus paid for us. We will never be able to pay him back. Never. It is infinite cost. But to be able to now serve joyfully is just a token of appreciation. God, thank you so much for all that you have done. Here's my life. If anything, I think some of us need to repent because pride has crept in. Entitlement has crept in. And we forget that we don't deserve any of this. That's why there is influence when we serve with persistence. Because you're directing people towards God and the way you serve in that persistent heart that loves God, it will inspire others. We're not going to go into huddle groups just because of time. Let me just quickly close out with some next steps. I was thinking about this. I said, Lord, how do we get people in our church to be influencers without positions and titles? How do we get people to serve and to do ministry without turning it off and on? To get back the joy of serving to get the sense of privilege once again. And as I was thinking about this, I just came up with a handful of things for us to think about, consider, and even start applying, even starting today and throughout this week. The first thing is this, bring a positive biblical influence. I want to challenge us with this. Some of you bring a negative, secular influence into life group, into our church, into your friendship, So it is vital, as you think about the God, how can I bring this positive biblical influence to every single relationship, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's in my apartment, whether it's in my life group that we're going to be starting up soon. Influence people in a positive way. Another thing that you can do is battle through the excuses. You will always come up with excuses. This is the human nature. So battle through it, fight it. That means pray and ask people for prayer. That I'm forgetting that it's a privilege, that I need Jesus. Stop making excuses. I hear excuses all the time from people. And I find myself sometimes when I deep in my heart, when I really don't want to do it, I could come up with an excuse. But let's remember, battle through the excuses. The third thing is, Believe that God can use you. You need faith. We might not have much to offer. Some of you are like, I, I don't really, I don't know the Bible very well. I don't know all this stuff very well. But you got to believe that God can use you to influence people in your life. So that means to pray, to trust that the opportunities that He's giving you, He's going to use you to inspire others to serve and also to influence those people around you to succeed in everything that they do. The fourth thing is bless someone this week just because. A lot of times we bless somebody because they blessed me last time and so I got to pay them back. 
you know, or it's usually the other way. I blessed them last week. Why aren't they blessing me? Huh. So bless somebody this week just because, and you fill in the blank, just because Jesus, just because I've been loved by God, just because. And then number five, lastly, boast only in Jesus. Boast only in Jesus. Make it all about him. Whether you're influencing or inspiring other people, make it all about Jesus. Boast about him. I want to close with this quick video, and you got to pay attention because there's a lot of stuff going on on this video. Uh, Apple, you know their motto is think differently. And they pride themselves in this, that they break the status quo. They think of things that no one else thought about, and which is true. They live out their mission statement. And they made this video to remind everyone about the perspective that we need to have to look at things from a different angle in a complete different way. And I pray that as you watch this, that it will influence us in a different way, that we will be able to not only have a positive impact, but hopefully a reminder. So you got to read the words that come through and then you got to process it. When I watched the first time, I had to watch it again because it went like really quick. So you got to focus. I'm giving you a heads up so that you can understand what they're trying to communicate. So let's watch this together. And we'll come back and close. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.